High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Welcome, book readers, movie watchers, those of you who've experienced some recent tragedy, those of you who are looking for a good cry, and those of you who just wanted to watch a good movie. This is High School Slumber Party, the podcast where me and some friends look back at our teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school-centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and the slumber party's at my place this evening. But first, school is still in session, and it might be homeschool, but whatever. We still have some homework to chat about. This was your assignment, and I would like to see the results. First off, how's everyone doing? Hopefully everyone's happy and healthy and pushing through these crazy, crazy times. Again, as always, a shout out to our healthcare heroes out there. Much love and appreciation for all you essential workers, too. And you know what? For all you non-essential, quote-unquote, people, too. Just love for everyone. That's the kind of mood I'm in. I'm there. Of course, our homework. First, my homework. And that's to remind you to subscribe to this podcast, wherever you're listening right now. Whether that be Google Play, whether that be Spotify, whether that be Stitcher, or whether that be Apple Podcasts. And while you're there, if it allows... Give us a nice little five-star rating, and if you can, write us a nice positive review. All that helps the algorithm to support this beautiful thing I like to call High School Slumber Party. But maybe, perhaps maybe, the best way you can help out High School Slumber Party is by telling a friend about all the cool things we're doing here, about how we cuddle up into our sleeping bags, and six feet distance, six feet distance, I acknowledge that, And now, you know, we're probably doing this over audio or video or we're having some kind of fun slumber party, trust me. But we're getting in our sleeping bags and we're talking about some wonderful, wonderful, wonderful high school films. And I can't wait to talk more about this one today because this one, oh, hadn't seen it before. It blew my mind. But before we talk about that, homework, 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 your homework. Did you listen to last episode? And that was Monday's episode on Flying, that weird Keanu Reeves movie with like four or five titles. Oh my god, it was so much fun. It's free on YouTube. It's crazy. You definitely want to check it out. I had a blast talking about it with Jordan Poland-Clark, Mike Manzi, and the godfather himself, Joey Lundaski. And you want to check that out, of course, on the flagship, cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Now we have another Cage Club podcast host today and that's Islan Addington. We had her on before and I wanted to bring her on again because she wasn't so happy with Jennifer's body 
And I listen to her podcast with her brother Tobin, The Contenders, and it's awesome. And she's such a passionate person. And I knew she really liked high school films. So I'm like, we need to have her on again. And I'm so glad we got this opportunity. She suggested The Perks of Being a Wallflower. I hadn't seen it before. And guys, it's on Netflix if you haven't seen it. So definitely check it out. That was a big part of your homework. But this is an episode, it's really one of my favorite episodes because I end up really liking this film. Whoa, whoa, whoa! What do I always say? The bell doesn't dismiss you. I dismiss you. And remember, guys, we might be homeschooled right now, but I brought the bell home with me. (laughs) Anyway, The Perks of Being a Wallflower, so good great soundtrack. We'll talk more about that later. Just great film. I highly recommend it. But in the old LeVar Burton style, you don't have to take my word for it. No. (laughs) Pack your favorite jammies. Or, sorry, keep screwing up. Put on your favorite jammies. Tell your mother you're going to be listening to a podcast with Brian because we're about to get our party on. I leave you with a song from the aforementioned soundtrack and a really cool moment that I don't think we get to talk about in the podcast, but it's one of my favorite parts of the film. The song is Come On Eileen by Dexie's Midnight Runners. Class dismissed. yourself on high school slumber party but you say your name your high school and what your team name was in high school oh yeah absolutely okay i'm Islin addington i use she her her pronouns i went to hellgate high school and our mascot was the knights go knights awesome happy to have you back for a couple reasons one last time we did jennifer's body you weren't too happy with the film and i was like oh i want you to pick you know a film that you really want to do so perks of being a wallflower Actually, I had not seen before. Really? Yes. And I'd wanted to see, but once I started this podcast, 
I don't really watch the like teen movies until I have to. Right. So uh, I I was happy when you picked this one. Good. It's been on my list. I'm super excited I'm so for glad. it. Uh, before you know, before we get in any further. Why did you pick The Perks of Being a Wallflower? And what's your history with the film slash book? Oh, my goodness. It is my favorite book. And... Wow. <laughs> yes. And my favorite book-to-movie adaptation. That's good. I think my second favorite is To Kill a Mockingbird. Just to, get, <laughs> to give you, like, the <laughs> breadth of what I'm comparing book-to-movie. Yeah, I was going to say. That's I think a, that was one that was pretty, very well done as well. Good so I was, I had heard of it, like it was a phrase, Perks of Being Wallflower was something I had heard of, but hadn't read. And then somewhere in post-production of the film, when they were selling the books with the actors on the front, it's the actual book, but it was a shot of uh-huh. Logan Lerman and Ezra Miller and um, Emma Watson, that I was about to fly home for Christmas and in a bookstore and like, oh, yeah. That looks good. That looks like it's going to be relevant. I do love a high school anything, and um, I love a band <laughs> of misfits, and so it checked a lot of boxes for me that way. And read it and finished it on the plane. Read the last page, closed the book, opened it again, and started reading it again right away. Wow, that's awesome! I loved it so much. I passed it around to my friends. The book that I have has discussion questions in the back. And I led. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I led like several informal discussions of the book because I was just so jazzed about it. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. And then um, Tobin, my brother and co-host on The Contenders, I don't remember how, but had a screener of the film. And so oh, cool. I watched a probably not kosher screener in my living room <laughs> until I could purchase it because I did want to support the folks behind it and i wanted to see all the behind the scenes and all that but so i have been since i've been a fan i've been a very strong fan to the point that this current quarter i was supposed to be teaching a class based on this book oh damn i know it was <laughs> called the perks of being wallflower gender trauma and mental health so you know a real fun one <laughs> obviously there's a number of circumstances that got in the way of that but yes that's how how useful this book is, how important this book is, and how much this book and film, I'll switch and talk about the film, have impacted my life. How about you? That's awesome to hear. Uh, it seems like I'm going to kind of take a back seat today. Oh, then, no. Because <laughs> you'll be teaching me things. No. Like I said, this is my first watch. I never read the book. Okay. One of my younger brothers loved this book, was so impacted by this book, was so impacted by the film. I don't know. I just... Not that I felt old for it, but I think when it came out, I was already maybe beyond sure. like where this book was, I, I guess, potential. Let's just say where the marketing was shooting yeah. for it. It's, yeah, it's a hard one to market, I think. Oh, absolutely. Watching this movie, I was kind of annoyed that I'm like, wow, I could have really used this book at certain times mm, in my life. Yes. And certainly the film as well. I'm like, damn it, I really missed out not reading this book. <laughs> so... <laughs> I feel bad about that, but I'm happy to finally see it. And so, you know, to answer that question, my history with the book or the movie, it's just zero. Yeah. So, yeah, but I, uh, you know, right off the bat, we usually rate things at the end, but right off the bat, I really enjoyed it. It really even impacted me on this watch today. So I guess I can't totally regret missing out. It's a weird thing, right? Like, you don't know when you're going to see things that are going to 
impact you. Who knows how I would have felt reading this. I might not have been in the the headspace that I was today that I enjoyed it so much. Sure, absolutely. When you come across things is is an important part of the story. Oh yeah, absolutely. Before we get into the production and all the actors and of course... Of course, you know, all the amazing scenes and moments in this film. Every week I read the back of the DVD or VHS. This case is is DVD. So here goes. Based on the novel written by Stephen, and you're going to help me here because how do you pronounce this person's last name? I say Chbosky, but I don't know. Chbosky. We'll we'll just say that. I'll take your lead on that. Based on the novel written by Stephen Chbosky, this is about a 15-year-old Charlie, an endearing and naive outsider coping with first love, the suicide of his best friend, and his own mental illness while struggling to find a group of people with whom he belongs. The introvert freshman is taken under the wings of two seniors, Sam and Patrick, who welcome him to the real world. Short, I don't know if it's 100%, you know, not that it's inaccurate, but this is kind of a weird film to in my mind to really explain like I was just talking to someone about it like oh how was that film I hadn't seen it what is it about and I'm like I don't know like, it's not that I don't know it's just you know hard to codify if that makes sure sense. yeah I mean coming of age drama I think also that description to me speaks a little more to the book than the movie hmm, that's interesting you hear more about his best friend who died by suicide yeah. and yeah and, and certainly, I think they do a, a great job of visually putting the pieces together in terms of his aunt and the abuse. But because that's, you know, it's clear, obviously, it's going to be different in mm-hmm. writing. And then the other thing I would just say real quick uh, before I pass it back to you is that the voiceover in the film is the style of the book. So the book is all his letters. Oh, okay. I was going to ask that question. I figured you were a book reader, Mm -hmm. you know, for for suggesting it. So I was going to ask this, like, is it clear who he's writing to? No. And that's one of the discussion questions in the back of the book. Oh, that's cool. (laughs) But it starts, they both start the same way. I'm I'm writing to you because she said you would listen and you would understand, which gives me goosebumps. Um, it also dates it. So it's 1991 in the book. And I'm not sure oh, if that's, that's also the case in the film. I think I agree with you. I was kind of in between where I'm younger than the music, right? I had friends who were older that I was like, oh, you would like this because of this particular music that's so important in it, mm-hmm. but older than the characters. So I was, you know, kind of felt a little bit out of time in it, but it immediately just grabbed me in, and I just think it's such a great story. I love Charlie. Yeah, no, it really is a great story. I mean, I like the music here, too. After I watched the film, I bought this soundtrack on vinyl. Oh, nice. I had to do it. <laughs> well, yes, as Mary Elizabeth tells us, things just sound so much better on vinyl. Yeah, I loved it. <laughs> She's so good. Everyone is so good in this. Oh, my God. I loved this cast. Mm-hmm. And, but even before that, I was fascinated to find that the author of the book is the writer of the film and the director. Like, how often do you see that? Right, right. My And I don't know a lot, but my understanding is that he held on to the rights and waited until he was in a position where he could make it and make, and make it with his. Yeah, so, so any of these sort of changes or things, I think that's clearly part of why I think it's a great adaptation is because it had uh, some continuity which is not always the case. Mm-hmm. And it feels like any changes were, you know, approved by the source <laughs> a little bit. So it's like, okay, well, that's not like the Penn State thing and that like, okay, that didn't happen in the same way or whatever. But that's okay because our buddy Steve did it. And so 
I approve. <laughs> yeah, I got to hand it to him because, one, to be able to do that, right? Because this was, I believe, a really popular book. I remember seeing it in a lot of bookstores. Mm-hmm. And to be able to just, like, fend off <laughs> right. the, the the money offers and, and studios sure. and probably an agent who's telling you, just sell exactly. this, sell this. You know, you're going to make so much money. Don't deal with the headache <laughs> of making a movie yourself. And then to write a screenplay, which is not easy no. compared to adapting your own material. Like, you got to literally kill your words in some spaces and, and do different things with them. And then to direct it, it's just like, wow, I was just like blown away. And I was so happy when you said that, it, you know, it's your favorite adaptation to a movie. That like validates it for me. Mm-hmm. It's like, bravo. I don't know if this should happen again because I don't know, like, I don't know enough about filmmaking to really know the answer of why it doesn't happen more often. Mm-hmm. But if this is any proof that maybe the author should be directing <laughs> and, and writing at their own films, then, I mean, yeah, this is like, you could take this to the bank. This is awesome. And, and there was something special about this film that the cohesiveness mm-hmm. throughout, like, again, I didn't read the book, so I couldn't tell you if it was close at all, but it didn't feel like it was being ripped from the pages mm-hmm. and sploshed together like so many other adaptations of things. It really felt like a, a, like I said, a cohesive film. Absolutely. I agree. I think they're all three very different jobs, right? Writing a novel, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. writing a screenplay, or even adapting a novel to a screenplay and then directing. I mean, those are completely different completely different jobs and yeah yeah, he could have done it and it not been great but i'm excited to hear that that you enjoyed it so much not being familiar with the book that like it can stand alone and i and i've told that to people but i'm glad to get it (laughs) like confirmed (laughs) because i i say to people read the book if you can and if and if you're just not going to if that's not your medium then watch the movie because it it has the same soul i feel like but you can get different things out of each and also just for, for you and the listeners, the book is tiny. I'm looking at oh, really? a, okay. yeah, it's a five by seven, like could fit in a five by seven frame and 200 pages. And so, it, I mean, it's literally very small. It would not take, it, oh, wow. it'd be a, it'd be a day and a half in quarantine. I encourage you all to <laughs> order from your local bookshop, a copy of Perks of Being a Wallflower. For sure. And I was just going to say that too, like often when you watch the movie first and then go to the book, it's like really weird, mm-hmm. but Again, you, you pretty much validated like whether I should read this book or not. <laughs> so I'm definitely going to pick it up. Oh, I think you should. Uh, one note I did have, I don't know how true it is, but but I thought it was funny just being uh, the host of this High School Slumber Party podcast. It said that John Hughes originally either had bought or had wanted to buy the uh, rights to this film, and he wanted to make the film as a dark comedy with Shia LaBeouf and Kirsten Dunst, and oh. he passed away before he could do the project, which allowed uh, you know the writer and the director to do it all himself <laughs> more independently. I'm kind of glad that didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I think I think there's space for whatever that is, but I'm glad there's not something else out there called the Perks Being a Wallflower. You know, I'm, I'm glad that this stays true but you could see how someone could be inspired to take a piece of it because it is pretty dense i mean that's how i could have a class where we get into gender we get into trauma and we get into mental health all from a tiny book so yeah i mean i could see that project existing but i agree i think i think everything happened the way it ought to happen and you're the expert in slumber party movies but it, it seems to have some of the components that are so enjoyable in a high school movie but so much heart and so much authenticity that is not always there. Like, I believed these people were in high school. 
for instance. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it had all the elements that I really enjoy. This is a podcast that goes through a lot of genres, mm-hmm. from horror to slapstick comedy to everything and anything under the sun. Right. But this has those like old core elements that I think a young person would enjoy and I think an adult would enjoy. And that's kind of rare to see in these films because I enjoyed it as an adult. Sometimes I'll just try to project like how would I have enjoyed this if I was watching this in high school Mm. or even, you know, younger than that. And I think all around like I would have enjoyed it back then and I enjoyed it today. So, yeah, I agree with you 100%. It's just there's a certain quality to this. And you mentioned like it's set in the early 90s. I didn't even get that vibe, but mm. it didn't even matter if that made sense. Sure. It's almost like a, a timeless story, right? Like I guess there was no like texting yeah, and there's stuff no like cell that. Phones. And, and, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. So, now that I look back on it, that makes sense, but I didn't think about that once while watching the hmm, movie. Interesting. Okay, so let's talk about this cast because, again, I loved it. Logan Lerman plays Charlie. Uh, were you familiar with him at all, or is this someone you know? At the time that the movie was about to come out, I knew that it was the Percy Jackson kid, but that was all. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that was the, I don't know if it was after all that whole series had been out, but certainly I was aware of him, but I don't think I had seen him in anything. Mm-hmm. Of the three leads, it was Emma Watson was the one that I knew. Oh, yeah, for sure. It has a very iconic like poster mm-hmm. slash DVD cover. And obviously Emma Watson, we all know her from Harry Potter. And she was someone who I was like, oh, this is interesting. Like, this looks fun. If there was anything that drew me in at the time it came out, which, again, I didn't see it at that time, but it was definitely her. Sure. I was super familiar of her Harry Potter, and I was curious what she would do next because while I wasn't the biggest Harry Potter fan, I feel like I'm more of a Harry Potter fan now than I was (laughs) at the time. She was always someone who stood out to me in Mm -hmm. those films. And what would you think of her performance in this? I thought it was great. I mean, yeah, I think with with Harry Potter, gosh, did they get lucky with those <laughs> right. kids, right? And I agree, even among even among them, she has always been a standout for me. And then, of course, as a wild feminist, I'm I'm a fan of her when she's being herself. Um, I think she mm-hmm. was great. I think she had the qualities kind of ascribed to the character in the book as just kind of effortlessly beautiful and kind and in the midst of a transformation herself you know they allude to her having not only difficult relationships but also abuse in her past and that she was really you know trying to get out of kind of her patterns and and truly grow up um and i thought she did a great job with that had lunch with craig today yeah he said he was sorry and that I was right to break up with him. I'm driving away and just feeling so small, just asking myself, why do I and everyone I love pick people who treat us like we're nothing? We accept the love we think we deserve. Then why didn't you ever ask me out? I, um, I I just didn't think that you wanted that. Well, what did you want? I just want you to be happy. Don't you get it, Charlie? I can't feel that. 
It's really sweet and everything, but you can't just sit there and put everybody's lives ahead of yours and think that counts as love. I don't want to be somebody's crush. I want people to like the real me. I remember from some of the behind the scenes stuff, she was so concerned about the accent. And I don't know if she'd oh, done American before then, but certainly not in a role this large. And so mm. at one point, the director was like, basically saying, just for, forget that. Like, we can see you thinking about it. Like, just play it and it'll be fine. And I think it is fine. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's so hard because it's someone that is pretty iconic from a different series that... You know, it's hard to hard to tell if I can really hear it or if I'm just sort of pretending I can. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, so you've got Harry Potter, you've got Percy Jackson, and then isn't <laughs> Ezra Miller part of the DC universe as well as the newer iterations of Harry Potter? Oh, yeah. I forgot he's in the newer Harry Potter, too. Uh, he's someone we actually talked about on this podcast in a film. We need to talk about Kevin. Oh, which is yeah. Probably the darkest thing I've creepy, ever seen. Creepy, creepy. <laughs> <laughs> uh i know he recently like choked someone and that's not great oh, no but i i've always liked him on screen yeah maybe as a person he's not the best yeah I'm well joey sure. says know. we can separate artists from their art so if we're following yes. <laughs> if we're following joey we'll be okay with it i thought he was perfection in this role like i having watched it 50 times when i watched it today i still laughed out loud at several of his lines what was it then the first time they're in the diner and he says thing like you could write about us call us like slut and the falcon we could solve crime like so good yeah i thought he was great too well just you know off the bat with the two of them as opposed to charlie Mm -hmm. i really appreciated the how they felt fleshed out too many times in these high school films you have this great lead, but you have just accessory characters, mm. specifically like the, the women a lot of times, right? They're just like, oh, here's this mysterious girl who's just here kind of to be a placeholder. Sure. But so many of these characters, I could just see the movie about them, if that makes sense. Oh, like, yeah. It, and that was one of the things I really, really appreciated as we go like talk about this entire cast, right? Like even uh, Mae Whitman mm-hmm. as Mary Elizabeth. I really liked her character. I know Mary Elizabeth and Charlie might not have been meant to be, but I still uh, appreciated what they went through, if that makes sense. Totally. Um, And I think that's one of the points where I so feel for him of that, like, wanting something to happen. Okay, now something has happened. And did I get myself into something (laughs) that I wanted or not? You know, like, in high school, you should (laughs) go to dances and you should do this and... And so he's like, okay, I went to a dance, I have a girlfriend, and it is not what I want it to be. <laughs> like, how do you navigate that? It honestly, watching it this time, it reminded me so much of um, Inside Out. Oh. Have you seen that? Yeah. Okay. So the way that it, when the transition, it just, well, the whole thing, but like right at the end when the control panel gets so much more complicated because the, uh-huh. the little girl is growing up, that's what I felt like uh-huh. we were watching. Oh, that's cool. With yeah. Charlie, but with all of them a little bit, right? They're in the midst of this. They're they're figuring out who they are. There's some posturing going on, which is always fun. Um, and and some bold statements about the world and everything that we do when we're about to graduate high school or just starting high school or are in college and have friends in high school and want to tell them what the real world is like, you know? So, yeah, it reminded me of that just... As you grow up and you start to understand 
oh, your parents are also humans. Or oh, yeah. there's more to one. the world than my neighborhood or whatever else. <laughs> and, you know, you bring up some good points, too. But I also thought it was interesting how Charlie is a freshman and they're pretty much all seniors. Mm-hmm. And they've kind of done a little bit more of the journey than he has. Of course, he has had a different journey and he's experienced things that they haven't experienced. You know, stuff we'll definitely talk about. Mm-hmm. But his journey for high school is kind of following not just what they have done, but what they are doing as well and what they're learning and their transition from high school to like college. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I found that part so fascinating as well. A lot of films I do, I would say the majority about are about seniors going into college, Mm -hmm. but rarely is it like, is the lead a freshman right from the perspective of of someone else so this is um and i I don't want (laughs) to allow us to move through the movie but that brings up just another reason i think this resonates so much with me is that you know my brother is five years older and so we were not in high school at the same time but there were particularly in his senior year of high school there were times when i as an eighth grader went with him to things or was invited a little bit to hang out with his friends and it was it was mm-hmm. different i was younger than them but most of them never made me feel that way oh, that's pretty cool and yeah and made me feel like i was a person there too i was invited also i wasn't just a kid sister although that's certainly part of my identity but that was you know they saw me as some as a you know kind of a full being and so i think that's another reason that just for me you know running with someone that's running up the stairs of the stadium on graduation day, even though it's not my graduation day. You know, those are things I'm I'm familiar with or, or sometimes you get more information, right? Because you're not in the middle of all the drama. You're the a person outside of it so that they want to tell you about it, and like vent to you and stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's also why reading the book made me so nervous because I thought, oh no, are they going to screw him over? Right. Yeah. And so I, I was so <laughs> nervous in the first half of it. And, and then no, they're just kind and they just saw something in him and wanted to be his friend. And ah, I love it. (laughs) Oh, it's so good. And, (laughs) uh, you know, we can go down the line with the cast and pick people out who we thought Mm -hmm. were great. I don't know if we have time to name every single person in this movie. (laughs) Let's see. uh, Oh, Paul Rudd is Mr. Anderson, who really uh, has a connection with Charlie and he recommends all these books and... uh, you know, I-, I thought it was interesting to have Paul Rudd in this role. Another a Marvel person here, Ant-Man. There it is. So that's interesting. What do you think of this character? And I'm curious, like, if this character is similar in the books, Mr. Anderson. Yeah, he is. I'm trying to think. I think there's a, maybe a little bit more of him in the books. Certainly there's an important scene where Charlie goes to his home in the book. Because right at the end, when Charlie is in his house and in a state of emergency and can't stop crying... Mm-hmm. That happens three or four times in the course of the book. And one of the times oh, that happens cool. is at Mr. Anderson's house. But yeah, their relationship is, I just, you know, just think lovely. And in the book, yeah, he does give him various kind of extra credit things. Like, And I think by the end of it, he's not even doing the work of the rest of the classes. He's just doing this kind of independent study and getting more difficult and difficult, difficult books. So yeah, Paul Rudd. Gosh, always a ray of sunshine. It was interesting. I think he has played so many man boys, if you will, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that it was interesting to see him as a sort of voice of reason. <laughs> and maybe it's just I'm watching the wrong yeah. Paul Red movies, but yeah, I think all, and all the adults, right? I think Kate Walsh and Dylan McDermott 
are great mm-hmm. as well, small roles, but so parenty. <laughs> All in in they they care, but also that they have no idea what's really going on. Yeah, I, I thought the adults were pretty interesting in this film. You mentioned something before that I see a lot in these films, and it's so real when you see your parents or adults, and you when you realize they're human beings. Right. <laughs> it's a big moment of growing up. I was very curious for similar reasons, like why Paul Rudd took this role. I think he did a great job, but it, it doesn't seem like maybe tight for him. And maybe that's why he took it. Who knows? But I don't know. I'd be curious to see if like he connected to the book as well. Yeah. Also, like Joan Cusack, an mm-hmm. alum of a, a lot of high school films, she has that small role as like a doctor towards the end. Yeah. And I thought that was super cool because it's not a big thing, but it's a pretty impactful role. Mm-hmm. I agree. You mentioned the parents... And yeah, I mean, again, there's not too many, like too much focus on the adults here, but whenever they're on camera, they feel real. Yeah. And it's it's pretty awesome. Yeah. It feels like a family, you know, I mean, yes. they have yeah, their, their patterns, they have the things that the way that they interact. I think you understand pretty solidly from the movie, the way the brother leaving is pretty significant in the book. Like yeah. the brother is the one that the older brother is the one who taught him how to fight and gotcha. would pick him up from middle school when he got overwhelmed and was crying and various things and so to have everything happen and his brother suddenly gone affects the whole family and that's a little bit a little bit less in the movie which is Uh. fine but i you know i love the scenes when they are all together at the dinner table and it just yeah feels very familiar what i'm getting from uh like what you're saying about the book and the film i'm really enjoying because it seems like they plant little seeds of things that I kind of digested mm-hmm. and it was enough for me to understand it. But like, you're, you know, from what you're telling me and how they're expanded in the book, like I totally get it. The brother thing and the thing you mentioned before with the teacher, because we don't see that he's ahead of the entire class, right. but we do see like, you know, him picking up the book essentially and putting a new one down and being like, wow, you're finished with that already. And, and you get that sense as well. So again, I think that comes from, just this straight author to director adaptation. And, you know, I, I think it's pretty awesome. Let's see. Oh, the other person I was going to mention was, you know, a, a very, you know, difficult, complicated character is the aunt, Aunt Helen. Played oh, by Melanie, Melanie Linsky. Yeah, Linsky. I was literally just talking about her on another recording two days ago for uh but i'm a cheerleader and she's in that film as well so i was like wow i like when that happens that's all i'm saying but yeah that's a that's a character yeah things get heavy in this film it's a really tough role right and and i think Mm -hmm. because so much of it you see through well you see it all through charlie's perspective but you see it through charlie's Mm -hmm. perspective when charlie is only focusing on some parts and and it starts with this is you know, this was a person that he felt he had a relationship with and that was important in his family and a kind of tragic figure. And I think the movie does a great job of showing you the same snippets. But when you have more information, it becomes so much more sinister and obviously even compounds the tragedy of it all. Like we knew we knew there was tragedy at the beginning, but we didn't know how complex and terrible. And so I think it takes a probably a, a brave actor to want to take that role too oh yeah oh yeah I, I thought the same thing like a villain and a villain who's not there to speak for themselves yeah not that it would be but this isn't like those cool kind of villains i'm right. using quote yeah unquote. no i know what you mean no this is just sad yeah, and insidious no, oh, yeah powerful and then just in terms of like just the and, and you know we could talk about this later too 
the way it's all built up, I found so fascinating because he's relating his feelings for Sam, mm-hmm. like at least from my perspective as a first time watcher, to his reverence for his aunt. Right. I had no idea. So that's what so I was going to ask that happened, you. Like, yeah. At what is it? Was it a reveal that the aunt had been uh, abusive or how did that, you know what I mean? Or did you have an inkling? I didn't have any inkling, but it also didn't feel like uh, something they put in a movie just to mm. like shock me right. or something, you know? It made sense. I just, I guess I had bought into Charlie's perspective to this point. Mm-hmm. I knew there was going to be something because right. they kept showing the ant. I didn't know what it was going to be. I thought there was going to, I knew there was going to be some kind of circumstance in her tragedy. I didn't think it would be that. Right. And like I said, it was especially compounded by the fact that Charlie gives Sam a record that was his aunt's. He even says, like, she was the best person I knew right. until you. Something along those lines, you know? So when that was, I was like, whoa. So tough. And we get that towards the end of the movie. And it also doesn't really, I think we touched at this at the beginning, but it also doesn't really harp on the fact that he had a friend who committed suicide shortly right. before this. It's mentioned briefly, but it's not like, this doesn't feel like a movie where he was directly speaking about it a lot. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think the way they unfolded it in the film was was really beautiful. But uh, so, okay, here's, some, here's something. If I have one critique, something that I personally don't enjoy watching is when people accidentally get high. That makes me really uncomfortable. Like, here, have this brownie, and really, it's a pot brownie. And then, because I, I don't think anyone should be put on that roller coaster without their consent. However, so typically, I don't like that. However, in this case, <laughs> I think it worked as a, it was safe, right? He was in a in a place with people who cared about him and wasn't going anywhere and all that. But it gave an opportunity for him to kind of speak freely and and the voiceover uh, Charlie that we knew comes out a little bit, I would say, for the first time in front of these people. And so it was... Okay. Oh, that makes you sense. You know, because it's, it's just more stream of consciousness. And and yeah, mm-hmm. well, where's your where's your friend? Like, oh, he shot himself. Like, And then the way yeah. that that leads Sam to kind of really cement Charlie into the group. And they all toast to him. I mean, that's probably the first time of the six times that I um, teared up. When I watch the movie is when they toast to him and he's just sitting there smiling and like feeling like he's part of something. Ah, wow. so good. Yeah, it's it's so good. <laughs> Even though he's accidentally stoned. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I'm with you, uh, maybe for different reasons, but it's, look, especially in teen films, too often we see this scene and it's just really a device to do something wacky with the camera right. or like, you know, just go off and be silly for a moment and... Often I think it's lazy, but it actually like had a purpose here. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, it, I I wasn't too affected by it happening here. And you're absolutely right, especially like knowing what I know now from speaking to you. Like I, I totally get that. So favorite moments in the movie. Uh, we don't have to go scene by scene, but <laughs> just I guess chronologically always helps. But sure. okay, okay, so anything early on you liked, or just overall, what are some moments you enjoyed? Yeah, I think the. Uh... So, I mean, so many things. We could, yes, this could be a seven-hour podcast. It won't be. Um, <laughs> the um, Secret Santa, I think, is really, really great. And that's obviously something that can build a little bit more in the in the book. But the scene when 
he le- he leaves to go um, get his final present, and then he's gotten presents for everyone else. It, just because he is so, you know, happy to be friends with them and to be part of their group. I mean, you know, it's not any sort of obligation. It just is sort of his true, he wants to care for other people. And, and we see that that yeah. can be to his detriment. You know, it's one of those things that I, I think is a, is a strength, but can be a weakness and, you know, like lots of things. So I love that. And then when he comes back in and he has the full suit on and Patrick Ezra Miller, the way he just like exclaims, yeah. And they start clapping for him. It's so, yeah, it, it's, so, it's nice. so natural. Like the way that he said that was so natural so i'd say that kind of in the from the first half would be probably a favorite moment i thought that was a great scene um as well it reminded me of something they said early on i think it was after the toast right or is it part of the toast when he says like welcome to our island of misfit toys yeah that's in that's at the first party yeah and but like that scene reminded me just a continuation of just like this belonging he's feeling Mm -hmm. and these people are just so cool yeah that makes sense you know totally (laughs) not 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 cool in the high school jock way you know what i mean yeah no but yeah (laughs) these people are genuine they're flawed, but they're all trying to do something. And part of what they're doing is being kind to this kid that is also very nice and funny. I mean, it's not like they're, yeah, again, it's not like he's anybody's kid brother. He's he's his own thing. But I think they all understand he is a little bit different than, and than them. And he's he's been through something. Yeah. And I wrote this down too, that he's also not like their mascot. Right. You know, like so many times you see in movies and, you know, sometimes probably in real life too. Where it's like, oh, this this person's different from us, but let's keep them around because it's funny mm-hmm. for us or it's fun for us. Um, and you didn't get that sense as well. The way that this ends, and and, and I'll talk about that, like it's just like a call back to the beginning when they're riding around like in the truck and they're like, oh, what song is this? And there's that like, it's the tunnel scene, yeah. you know, the original one. And Emma Watson like gets, what is she out of like the sunroof or something? I don't know. It's like, it's a pretty image. And I just, again, this first part of this film to me is all about belonging and all about just like he's feeling, Mm -hmm. he's just feeling such a a place in this world that it gave me those warm, fuzzy feelings inside. (laughs) And it didn't feel corny, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think it's it's sincere in in the best way. Mm -hmm. So what do you think of the, I guess, what do you think of like Ezra Miller's arc here? I didn't realize this was such a strong like LGBTQ Mm -hmm. movie. So what is this Ruth Miller's name? Sorry, I keep oh Patrick, but they call him nothing. Patrick, yes, but they call him nothing. And it's like, <laughs> you know, so poetic in a sense, and he's I guess secretly dating uh, the football guy. Um, oh I mean yeah, Johnny on, Simmons, you know, on... but I, I forget his name. Brad? <laughs> yeah, Johnny's Brad. Brad, yes, Brad. Good. There's call. always a Brad. <laughs> There's always a Brad. That's a good, that's a good point. <laughs> you know, and he's a top athlete on the football team mm-hmm. wears the letterman jacket and everything so they kind of have this um clandestine romance yeah. so i guess what do you think about uh, those elements in this film another thing that made me very nervous when i was first reading it i do that's i would say another favorite moment is at that the after homecoming dance that first party when uh-huh. we as an audience discover this clandestine relationship because a super stoned charlie accidentally walks in on them and Patrick is trying to like explain without explaining and like and say like be cool and we'll talk about this later and then Charlie says I'm looking forward to that talk <laughs> I just love the way he delivers <laughs> oh, that, that was, too that was a great 
line, you're right. <laughs> and I'm not an expert on LGBTQ history, but certainly in the very early 90s, it was, you know, my understanding is much more difficult to be out in high school um, or anywhere, I'm sure. And so I think that that relationship and the way that the misfit toys <laughs> all work to protect that, I think is is also really beautiful and another way that it's this it's not it's not like kids versus parents necessarily but I think you know the parents until they do but you know have no idea that their kids are like having real lives you know I don't know if I'm Mm -hmm. saying that well but I just love the way that the whole group knows they don't seem to talk about it or gossip about it but they will put things in play so that these two can have their time together and that camaraderie and that openness and in the way that they are, in, they, at least in their little circle, are inclusive, I think is really beautiful. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I, I really loved it. When did this movie come out? 2012? So it feels kind of, believe it or not, I know 2012 wasn't that long ago, but it <laughs> feels kind of a, a little bit ahead of its time. I mean, and certainly, a, 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 what was the book? 2007? Let's look. I have it in front of me. <laughs> I think it's something along... 1999. Oh, 1999 mm-hmm. is the book. Wow. So, like, that really feels yeah. awesome to have this kind of storyline in here. Right. That it's not, it's not like, it doesn't have, like, an Oprah LGBTQ sticker on it. <laughs> you know, that it's not sort of pigeonholed <laughs> into yeah. a subgenre, but it is incorporated into the types of relationships that young people might have. It's, it's normalized in a really great way. While still being oh, that's subversive because of the parent to student you know thing. yeah but among them you know I, I love it just the whole rocky horror picture thing yeah. too <laughs> that was so cool <laughs> yeah no i definitely wanted to touch on that here uh yeah so you know the floor is yours whatever you want to yeah. talk about really with the with this film excellent i have a, a short thing that's related to the patrick relationship and then something else i wanted to ask you about so with the patrick and brad but then after Brad's parents find out or father finds out and beats his son, Brad, for having this relationship with a, another boy, then Patrick is really in a lost place. And and that is <laughs> Charlie's kind of entrance back into the group because there was a falling out. But over the course of that couple of weeks where Charlie and Patrick are going out together and Patrick is showing him various things around the city and all that, then like Patrick kisses him a few times and think that it's illustrated differently in the movie when Hmm. Emma Watson says is asking him like why didn't you ask me out and and he said well I didn't I just want to you know I want you to be happy I want you to have what you need that kind of comes out more with Patrick because Charlie is not interested in Patrick but he wants Patrick to be happy and he wants Patrick to be okay and so he sort of lets things happen because he thinks it's helping Patrick yeah. And I, I don't think we needed any more of that than we got, but a scene where they're where Patrick explains what happened and they're in they're in the park together is also a really poignant moment. Which leads to the thing I wanted to ask you about. The other thing that I typically hate is fighting. <laughs> I hate the sounds of fighting in mm. movies and like hand to hand stuff makes me really uncomfortable. And yet, this is another exception. When Charlie says, like, if you touch my friend again I'll blind you I get goosebumps, and that's very unlike me. Oh, wow. <laughs> but I wondered um, <laughs> what you thought of that scene when Charlie intervenes and the way that they 
what they choose to show and what they choose not to show. What did you think of that? I really liked it for a couple of reasons. One, Patrick has told him because, I mean, I guess we'll, we'll backtrack sure. a little bit. So when Charlie and Mary Elizabeth are dating and, you know, it's not going oh, well, no. <laughs> they have that truth or dare moment. And I'm like, oh, no, what's going to happen? <laughs> In hindsight, I probably could not have picked a worse way to be honest with Mary Elizabeth. Truth or dare? Who are you talking to? I dare you to kiss Alice. Oh. oh. There's your loins, procreator. <laughs> Mary Elizabeth. Samantha told me that you got into Harvard. Congratulations. Thank you. This one still hasn't gotten me flowers. But I forgive you. <laughs> My turn. Um, let's see. Let's think. Charlie. Truth. How's your first relationship going? It's so bad that I keep fantasizing that one of us is dying of cancer so that I don't have to break up with her. Charlie, truth or dare? Uh, Hello? <laughs> dare? Okay. I dare you to kiss the prettiest girl in the room on the lips. And notice I charitably said girl and not person, because let's face it, I'd smoke all you bitches. Oh, oh. <laughs> That's true. Love Bob Nelson. Oh, that's fucked up. Mary Elizabeth, I'm so sorry. It's a mistake, I'm sorry. Sam, Sam, I really didn't mean anything by it, I'm sorry. What the hell is wrong with you? I should go back and apologize. Uh, Charlie, trust me, you don't want to go back in there. I'm really sorry. No, I didn't mean to do no, anything. I know no. you didn't. But look. I hate to be the one to break this, but there's history with Mary Elizabeth and Sam. Other guys and things that have nothing to do with you, but it's best if you just stay away for, for a, a while. And one, someone says, like, oh, kiss the prettiest girl here. Yeah. And Charlie kisses Sam instead of his girlfriend, Mary Elizabeth. It causes controversy, and you could see why. And the way Patrick tells him to, like, stay away for a while, yeah. it wasn't like, get away from here, you know? Like, dude, you can't do that. He, he's so, like, nice about yeah. it, if that makes sense. Like, he's, like, something along the lines of, like, you know, it's not just about this. They have history. It's kind of best that you Yeah, like, it's just going to be better, while. yeah, if you give them time to cool off. Yeah, and I, I like that so much because I always get kind of, like, afraid of the scene at the party when it's going to be the opposite. Like, these people who have taken you in and worshipped you. You do one thing <laughs> to screw it up, and then they're, you know, right. you're gone. And then that happens so often in films. And I was so happy that that didn't happen there. But in the moment where he sees that a fight's going to break out, mm-hmm. I don't think he's, you know, he, he's still ostracized, right? Right. Like, not ostracized, you know what I mean. Yeah, no, but <laughs> he still, is. Yeah, yeah, he was still shunned from the group, yes. Yes, yeah, shunned is a better word. <laughs> um, <laughs> He's still shunned from the group, and he intervenes. It feels like he intervenes not because he's like, oh, this is my way back No, in. not at all. Yeah, no, he generally, like, cares, and he's, you know, upset at what's going to happen. Yeah, I'm glad we didn't see, like, 
I'm glad it wasn't Rocky and we're right. just seeing children boxing. beat each other. Yeah. That wouldn't have fit in mm-hmm. here. It just, it just wouldn't have. It's more powerful. I think when you just see the image of the guys reacting and then you see his hand. Yeah. And it's just like, Oh my God. Do your friends know what kind of sick shit you're trying to pull, but you better walk away right now. Nothing. Fine. Say how's your dad for me. Whatever, faggot. <laughs> what did you just call me? He's called you. <laughs> Touch my friends again and I'll blind you. Correct me if I'm wrong, but he doesn't even remember exactly what happened, right? Correct. And I I think that part of why we don't see it is because he, that's, if we take a step back and look at the whole thing, that is something that happens to Charlie, right? Charlie blacks out. Mm -hmm. Charlie's memories are not linear as most of ours are not, but particularly around trauma. And so, yeah, he doesn't know. He, I think... And in this, again, in the book, you get a better sense of, I think, he knows what he's capable of. Gotcha. Logan Lerman does a great job of playing it in that second half of the film that you can, I I felt like I could see. He's simmering, right? There is something, there's something escalating inside Mm -hmm. of him. It's right under the surface. And it's about all of the things. But then in that moment, his friend is in danger and it's unfair and it's um, all this stuff. And so, yeah, I agree. He's not calculating how can I get back in he's saying it doesn't matter that we're not friends right now I need to save Patrick and I can and and so yeah he oh but it makes me sad too like when he comes out and he says to Sam I don't know what I did and and she says do you want me to tell you and he says no (laughs) like god yeah I mean he doesn't so I'll say the one thing though what I didn't get from the film that I'm getting from you now from the book is something you mentioned earlier that like his brother mm-hmm. taught him how to fight and that he is capable of this because yes. to this point you know i saw that simmering stuff it, it was a little bit of a surprise because i didn't think he was capable sure because he was you know so i guess the book gives you a little bit more um reasoning there i think it works either way right it's yeah exactly it exactly. could be you a surprise But yeah, it's definitely, I think because, like I said, he is out of control of his emotions. I know there's a better phrase for that, but Mm -hmm. more often. And when we first meet him and he describes what happens the spring before a little bit, basically my recollection is his brother is like, you need to get this under control (laughs) because, you know, people are going to bother you about this if you're the kid who's always crying. So I better teach you to defend yourself so that gotcha gotcha so it was always out of protection but instead of self-protection it's protecting someone else which is also in line with with charlie and absolutely yes he needs to find a balance of you know serving others but also meeting his own needs but for most of the movie we see him doing his best to meet others needs and in that moment his friend needed protection yeah and it's again it's someone though they don't have a long 
history of a relationship. It's not like years and years and years. It's someone that the film has done a nice job to establish that, like, wow, he really cares about this person, and this person has shown that he really cared about him. Just, again, back to when he was dismissing him from the group, he did it in a way where he, you know, he was caring about it. like. Yeah, a kindness. Like it's so rare to see again in teen films, <laughs> believe it or not. <laughs> so, did you were you rooting for Charlie and Sam to get together or not as a first Honestly, time watcher? I was asking myself that question actually. Um and if I have to ask the question then I guess it means no, <laughs> but I wasn't rooting against them either. Sure. I didn't want this to just be a you know, quote unquote, love story, right. right? Like, I thought that that would cheapen some of the things that were, were happening. And I don't think it was like a straight up love story or anything like that. So I guess I was just rooting for them to be as close to what I thought themselves were as possible. Mm-hmm. When I say that loud, I'm really thinking more Sam. Right. I didn't want Sam to compromise her values and her, like, you know, how I perceived her coolness, if that well, makes sense. And her independence, and, right? She's about to get yeah. away from this place that has been a real mixed bag for her and, and start a new chapter. Yeah. And, and again, I want to be clear. I don't mean coolness, but like, oh, popularness. I mean, coolness, I mean, like, what I liked about the character. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted her to continue her journey, and I didn't want Charlie to... Even though I like Charlie, it's so weird. Backtrack a little. On this podcast, we see so many love stories. And when we talk about it after, it's kind of like it could be icky sometimes. It's like, oh, these two people fell in love. And, right. In a well, week a and a half. Have, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they have so much more of their lives to live. So should we be rooting for this? Right. You know? But again, I didn't feel necessarily that. It was more that Sam was so fleshed out. She felt like she had her own journey. And, you know, I'll say this. I was afraid at times that it would descend into just the Charlie story, if that makes sense. Mm. And everybody would gear up to help Charlie. And Sam would come around and realize it was Charlie. Help Charlie win the girl. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm so glad that that's not what happened. It's not like she, like, completely rejects him and says, "Get you know, get the hell out of my life. I'm doing my own thing. Mm -hmm. But, which I, I didn't want either. Yeah, I mean, I guess to answer your question, I wasn't directly rooting for them. I wasn't rooting against them. Mm -hmm. But I definitely didn't want them to just be like a happy-go-lucky couple in the end. And and that was that. Yeah. No, I agree. I think it's, you know, you're right. It's They've done so much to serve the other characters, but specifically, I think, Sam and Patrick, that it would be out of – it would be um, conflict with all of that to just – then suddenly make her an accessory to him. And because I think it's more of, I guess I feel like in the movie, Charlie's story sneaks up on us a little bit. Like Charlie is, is the point of view where we're seeing this group and he's in and out of it. And then I feel like it's almost a reveal that like, oh, this is about his self-discovery the whole time a little bit. But I could be thinking, yeah. too, I could be overthinking it at this point. <laughs> no, I mean... I- I thought that was actually cool, too. Now it's slipping my mind, but, like, the narrator of The Great Gatsby, like, the story's not about him. Mm -hmm. That's a great comparison. That could have gone this way as well, and it didn't. That was interesting, too. No, so I I definitely agree with what you're saying. No, that's, I I like, I'm going to think about that more now. I like that because it's it's almost like this could have, like you say, it could have been that if Patrick and Sam had been, like, mythical characters. Mm -hmm. But because they're grounded, then... 
kind of it bounces back to Charlie. We do have to mention another side characters real quick, Ponytail Derek. Oh yeah. Well, I don't know and, if you've watched and the sister, Succession, yeah. but Ponytail Derek is he's in he's, he's cousin in? Greg. Oh my god. Right? I forgot about <laughs> So I just and I I've only just started oh, yeah. Succession, but I was like, why do I know Greg? And then in the middle of like episode 5 or something, I was like, oh, Ponytail Derek. <laughs> <laughs> Good call. <laughs> Um, yeah wow which again if we if we if this was the class version we would then spend a week talking about gender roles and domestic abuse and how how all those things intertwine right with we hear charlie's dad call Derek a pussy like behind everyone who feels backs right but we hear it and then we hear the sister i don't remember her name nina (laughs) is her real name (laughs) we hear her kind of saying the same things to him he then hits her and then and charlie's about to right come in and kick some ass but then she says to charlie like come on it's ponytail Derek. i can handle it so i think there's a lot in another conversation to unpack even just with that but so ponytail Derek, cousin greg (laughs) that does remind me the sister though and i i would say my other favorite part is at the end when charlie calls someone else's house it's not theirs it's his sister's friend and starts talking and she realizes something is very wrong. And that always makes me cry as well. Although by that point, I'm already crying. Mm-hmm. Because in another movie, she would have hung up, I think. Candace, your brother's on the phone. Hello? Hey, Candace. Charlie? Sam and Patrick left and uh, I just can't stop thinking about it. So. What? Candace, I killed Aunt Helen, didn't I? She died getting my birthday present, so I guess I killed her, right? I tried to stop thinking that, but I can't. She keeps driving away and dying. Call the police and send them to my house. Stop her. Crazy again. No, Charlie, listen to me. Mom and Dad are going to be home with Chris any second. She's thinking, what if I wanted her to die, Candace? What? Charlie? Charlie! Right? Or, you know, we've seen her be somewhat antagonistic to Charlie throughout. We've seen her not include him, right? That's why he found these other friends, because his sister was at the school the whole time, but wouldn't let him in. Yeah. And so I was very worried watching the movie, even knowing the story, although it doesn't unfold quite that way in the book. Don't you think, like, in another movie, she would have hung up? Oh, yeah. But she immediately says, Um, call the police. Like, oh. Yeah, it gets me. It gets me. Woo. And I'm so glad she did. So glad she did. And so glad he reached out. You know, I do want to unpack the ending, <laughs> but uh, just you reminded me of Ponytail Derek. Yes. And Bastard. What a fascinating character. Yeah. I mean, no, look, I'm not saying he's a great <laughs> guy. He's terrible. But such a fascinating character for a lot of the points you just hit on. and and But one of them, too, the fact that it's his mixtape that... You know, his sure. sister dismisses. Yeah, it's a gives catalyst. To Charlie. Yeah. And it's such a catalyst. Yeah, it's it's something that enlightens him. And the person he got the mixtape from is the farthest thing from a saint <laughs> possible. But that's not something we... I don't know. In another movie, you know, to use your words again, in another movie, this is like either a wacky character or the cool sister's boyfriend. Right. And that's what's almost like the saintly anointing of him. Like, you can be cool too. Kind yeah. Of thing. Which he tries, right? He says at that dinner, yeah. like, freshman year is really where you find yourself. <laughs> like, no one at the table buys it. I love it. <laughs> 
And again, and it's not that. So I thought, what an interesting fleshed out character. Again, not, I'm not saying a good character. I, I, I enjoy the character not because of his actions. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting character that you can, again, like like you said, you're teaching a class mm-hmm. with this kind of stuff. And Absolutely. I can only imagine just unpacking him, a, a side character. Mm-hmm. But, you know, let's talk about this ending. Yeah, um, yeah it really affected me. Just on, on a personal note, I'm someone who's, you know, ha- has had a friend I've lost to suicide. So, it, one, it really affected me in that way to see Charlie like this because the movie's done such a good job of making me feel like a part of his life. Right. That to see this scene, I was like, oh, no, where is this going to go? And you're right. When that sister just gets that feeling mm-hmm. and she's still on the phone with him. Right. She stays on the tell- phone. She's saying "Your par- our parents are going to be home soon with our brother. I mean, she's fighting. She stays calm, but is fighting so hard to keep him on the phone. Yeah, so powerful and just so amazing. And it just reminds me of that that thing about family, right? Like some people really get along with their family. Some people don't. But hopefully if you have these kind of bonds, like you just know these mm-hmm. things. And it, it was just, it was really nice to see. Yeah. And that's where we kind of learn in these moments, like the truth about his aunt mm-hmm. and, oh, you know. Right. Oof. Yeah. It's just really, it's just really powerful stuff. Are there any other thoughts you had on the ending before, I guess, before we build to like the tunnel? Right. Uh, we are infinite ending. Anything else you thought about like this just kind of really impactful scene or sure. where this movie has gone to this point? Well, I guess one thing I would say then, because I did prepare materials for a class for this, it works out really well that we are in or approaching uh, Mental Health Awareness Month, which is May. And so I don't know... <sighs> I guess I would just encourage uh, folks to seek out um, not only resources, but there are a lot of ways to be supportive of people. So there's a um, an organization that hosts um, what they call Out of the Darkness Walks, where a community can get together and talk about suicide as a social problem and how it has a, affects all of our lives in one way or another. And then there's money raising. There's various other things, but... Out of the Darkness Walks. Um, the other thing I would say is that um, there's uh, training for folks who are interested, especially if you work. So I've um, worked at a university or I've worked in public schools and things. If you're in a situation where you might be dealing with young people, but all people, and want some skills around talking to folks who may be experiencing suicidal ideation, there's a um, short program called QPR that's question, persuade something that you can take and kind of train yourself in that gives you some tools to respond to folks that are in distress. So those are the things I wanted to say about suicide. And I also, I would, I think in this kind of the climax of the finale, like the fighting, I like that we don't see a play-by-play of either the abuse or the aunt's death, really. I mean, we know what, we know what happened, but I think I'm unclear as to whether or not she died by suicide. Who, the aunt? Yeah. Hmm. I understand it was a car accident, but... No, I, I didn't even think about that, but, you know, you raised some good questions there. That is a really good question, huh? Yeah. Wow. I like that there's a lot of things open-ended there at the end, and that it's not... Um, I, I'm sure that this has come up on, on your podcast as well. It's come up on mine. I don't like when any sort of relationship or sexual violence is sensationalized. And I yeah. think they do a very nice job of letting you know that there was abuse and there was trauma, but not making it gratuitous. I think they, they handled that nicely, where a lot of times it's not that way. Yeah. No, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, 
maybe people will disagree, but zero times in this film, I felt like they were exploiting anything. Mm -hmm. And there's so many opportunities, at least, you know, in the history of film, there's so many subjects in this movie that have been exploited in the past from suicide, from LGBTQ issues, from everything almost in this fighting. Yeah, absolutely. Violence of all kinds. Yes. And it doesn't feel like exploited and it doesn't feel sensationalized is a word you used and i you know i love that about this because that made it feel more real and relatable and in a weird way i don't when i say not entertainment i don't mean <laughs> not entertaining sure. but something more that like tugged at my heartstrings yeah. rather than I, I talk about some you know quote unquote <laughs> like trashy movies on this podcast too that are just pure silliness yeah, or fun just, or not, just not junk even food that, you know what yeah. I mean. just yeah yeah exactly like something that you could just be doing anything and actually be perhaps at a slumber party mm-hmm. and watch and just not care that much this is not that and that and there's definitely there's room for that other stuff but there's really room for this kind of stuff and if it's done well it's just so powerful and i i can't say enough good things about this movie in terms of that and Probably the book as well. Again, I need to read. Yeah, it. <laughs> read the book. I love it. Yeah, I think uh, I agree 100%. I also, you know, nothing is wrapped up or cleaned up nicely. You know, we we leave, we end, and this will get us to the reprise of the tunnel, but we end at the beginning a little bit, right? Where uh-huh. sister's going off to college, brother's going back to college, Sam has gone, uh, done her summer program, Patrick's about to go to Seattle. Charlie says, you know, I'm not going to have a lot of time to write because I'm going to be too busy doing participating. And so there's I think there's something really lovely about that, that it ends at a, it ends at a beginning for a lot of our characters and, and for their family, too. I mean, there's hopefully I don't know the early 90s. I hope the parents get into some help and some guidance for themselves to come to terms with everything that's happened and. But, you know, it's what a way to end to start the next chapter, which is probably why I closed the book and then opened it again, honestly. but Makes sense, actually. <laughs> That's a really good point. And, of course, it ends at that uh, line, we are infinite. Mm. And I don't know, like I was I was getting, you know, I, I was uh, handling it pretty well. And for some reason, like when it said that line, it just like brought me back to the entire film. And I got emotional at that line. I was like, wow, yeah. powerful. And then. Fuck Netflix, because, like, I'm listening to this song, I'm getting into it, I'm thinking about the film, tears are coming down, <laughs> and then it runs a trailer for Ozark. Oh, like, no! Halfway between, halfway between the song, I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, I don't want to consume anything else right now, I want to just be in this moment. So, yeah. I'm like, come on. Ooh. I mean, no offense to Ozark, whatever, but you know what I mean. Like, I do. took me out of it. I was like, come I on, do. Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> That's, um, the uh, hosts of West Wing Weekly talked about that, that. Netflix is so quick to start the next episode or to advertise the next thing that they were trying to figure out how to turn that off on on their um, devices so that they could do that exhale during the credits and and really just sit with what they just saw. I don't know. I couldn't figure it out. So if you find (laughs) out, let me know. All right. (laughs) Yes. A fantastic story both in book form and film form. So anything else you wanted to mention? Uh, Because we have some weekly questions we do but before that any any other scenes or moments in the perks of being a wallflower the last thing i wanted to bring up was that the you know the there was a slumber party right that last the night um before 
Sam left for her yes. summer program. And so I watching it today at my lunch hour, I was like, oh, it's a slumber party for high school slumber party. <laughs> Perfect. I love when I see a slumber party for, uh, <laughs> moment in a high school movie that we're covering. So yeah, I, I took note of that as well. That was awesome. <laughs> love it. Okay. So usually we don't cover such powerful films on this podcast, believe it or not. <laughs> uh, but Every week I've been asking a couple of questions, and I don't know if they're going to apply today, but we have to give it our shot. Absolutely. we do here. So uh, first is the Wooderson Award, and that's named after Matthew McConaughey's character in Dazed and Confused. Mm. Famously in that film, Richard Linklater only had him in like one or two scenes, but he had such an um, impactful role that he added him to scene, <laughs> to scene, to scene. Long story short, he wins an Academy Award. So this is... This award is for a character who you would have liked to see more of, where you're like, wow, that was interesting, but I, I want to see more of this person's story. Oh, gosh. Um, that's tough, but I will go ahead and say, and the name is not coming to me, but the stoner guy that is the pot dealer and goes to culinary school, he has the big house that they go to at homecoming. Oh, yeah. You know I totally about? forgot about him. <laughs> What was his name? I know I don't remember his name at all. But I would be interested in yeah, who who he encounters, how he he, he I think similarly to the Matthew McConaughey, right? He's not in high school, but he's hanging around a little bit. So I think there's a kinship there, and it would just be interesting to <laughs> to see what what the rest of his life is like. Yeah, that's a good call. I like that. <laughs> I'll, I'll find his name at some point, but no, okay. I know exactly who you're talking about. <laughs> um, how about you? I'm a little different because I didn't read the book, right. but definitely hearing all this stuff about the brother, I would have liked to see more of that in here because I, I think it's really cool what you're saying. Sure. And, and I think that would have been my second one was, what does the story look like from the brother's perspective? Yeah, no, the, I, th I think that's... Uh, I'm interested in that. <laughs> all right. The next award is... Kind of the opposite, and that's the uh, Long Duck Dong Award. And famously <laughs> in 16 Candles, Long Duck Dong's very racist character. Um, yeah. This doesn't have to be who's racist in this film, because I don't think that's going to apply here. But it's a character whose omission would probably make the film better. Oh, I'm sorry, Bob. Bob is the name of the character that is the culinary student pot dealer. Okay, yeah, I see him now. Okay, a character that... The movie would be better if he wasn't there. I mean, honestly, the answer could be no. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. I mean, the story or someone's journey might be better. Like like Craig, the douchey college guy, right? I don't like him. Mm -hmm. So if, if this yeah, were the he, real he world, I wouldn't want him there. But yeah, but he, he <laughs> had a purpose and... Um, so yeah, I don't think I don't think I can think of one right now. No, there wasn't any like gag characters either that felt unnecessary. So I couldn't think of one either. So it doesn't apply here. That's totally fine. I kind of figured that. Okay. So next is the Cameron Fry Award. And it's not what you think. I think I should call it the Alan Ruck Award because <laughs> Alan Ruck, who played Cameron Fry in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, was famously 30 playing a high schooler. Did anyone, oh. did any one of the high schoolers look too old to be in high school? Just, you know, for example, in a lot of films we do, you'll see like the guy, like this hot, popular jock guy. Right. He's got like. A five o'clock shadow, and you're like, wait a minute, that guy's like 30. So yeah, clearly 28. That, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyone here fit the bill for you? You know, I think for the most part, they did a, a really great job. The only thing I would say is that both Mae Whitman and Emma Watson, because they 
were child stars. I've known them for so long that mm, that's a good point. When I in the moments when you come out of it and you're like, oh, it's Emma Watson doing a great job acting. Those two are a little bit ringers for me because I know they are closer to my age than they are to the age of the characters. But uh, but I think mostly, you know, I mean, thinking, for example, Ponytail Derek, who's like, yes, he's tall, but he's baby faced. Like, I would believe he was 17. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing. I would say nothing that stood out in the way that you're describing that's so true in, you know, like a divergent that the 17 year old is 29. <laughs> yeah. No, there's nothing like that. Uh, again, Which I don't mind, by the way, because especially in a character like that. Because if they're building someone up as the male lead and are telling me how attractive he is, I would rather he be played by a 28-year-old. Oh, no. Sometimes it does have purpose. The more fun we have with this is when it's, again, some kind of like everyone looks like a teenager, but there's like, again, one guy who's the captain of the football team who looks like my dad. You know? Gotcha. Like, okay. <laughs> so you'll get that as well. And again, we just have fun with these. These... I feel like these awards apply more to just like the silly the 80s silly. high school yeah. film <laughs> than something like The Perks of Being a Wallflower. Okay, so Rotten Tomatoes gives this 86% by the critics, 89% by the audience. But forget Rotten Tomatoes. This is High School Slumber Party. And you are an educator yourself. So <laughs> we're going to go back to high school. We're going to do A or A plus to F grades. What will you report card grade the perks of being a wallflower oh absolutely a plus this is the standard by which other things are measured for me yeah i'm gonna also give this my rare a plus on this show um i i can't say too many bad things about this movie really enjoy it i highly recommended it i knew i would i didn't think i would hate it but it even exceeded my expectations so i appreciate you suggesting it and i appreciate you you know, bringing it to me. And I'm, I'm, again, I'm so happy to see it. Yay. Thank you for the opportunity to talk about it. Well, you know, and, and I feel bad that you couldn't teach that class on it. Someday. Someday. Day, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. A couple other questions. You're not off the hook yet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Another silly one that we do every week. If you had to craft a themed sleeping bag for your slumber party, you know what I'm talking about. Those like oh, yes. kids sleeping bags with the graphics on it. So if you had to craft one themed of the perks of being a wallflower, what would it look like? It would have a typewriter and like classic book covers and then little quotes, excerpts in typewriter print from classic Ooh, books. I like that. And yeah, I'm glad you brought up the typewriter. Any movie that has a typewriter, I'm going to get excited about. So <laughs> good call on the sleeping bag. All right. So last major question. You and I were having this slumber party together. We're walking into a video rental store of infinite time you know i know they don't exist anymore so don't be (laughs) things before 2000 you know but sure (laughs) so there's a deal and it says rent two movies get one free we've already rented or we're already about to rent the perks of being a wallflower what two other movies (gasps) are we renting to complete our perfect slumber party for the evening oh my goodness hmm so many ways places we could go with this because our main the main actors are in other True. big franchises. We could go that direction. I don't know. I think certainly something, you know, lighter to contrast it. Oh, I agree um, with that. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe like, and, and, and this is going to sort of show, 
don't know, my whatever. I do love a good high school movie, but I might go like a Clueless because it's something that I, I know well and is is all frosting, right? It's it's silly and fun. It's fun to look at. It also has the Paul Rudd connection. Oh, true. So I think Clueless yeah. would be a good partner to this. Popular choice in this segment, by the way. Is it? I bet. Call. I bet. It's a good, <laughs> good one. Now I'm, I can, I'm cheating because I can see my DVDs from here because I'm old enough to still have DVDs. Well, I guess, <laughs> how about this? If Clueless is one people always say, then I say never mind. And instead, I'm going to um, replace that with The Spectacular Now. Oh, cool. Which also is ooh, a little bit lighter, but not a lot lighter. It sort of tackles some other issues, but feels grounded in reality to me in a similar way. It takes place in a different time, but in a similar sort of sense of these people seem real. This community seems real. And then, I mean, this might have to be a two-day slumber party, but I would then also bring rent the full series my so-called life oh i'll allow it okay (laughs) very ahead of its time because then we would have this is early 90s spectacular now is early aughts and we would put uh my so-called life there right in the middle and also has that is very earnest and um had some authenticity to it and also resonates with so many people. It would be a pretty emotional slumber party. <laughs> <laughs> I love it though. Well thought out. You know, thank you so much. Like that's a, I feel like we'd have a good time. <laughs> it'd be good. It'd be good. I try not to lecture too much. <laughs> well, Aislinn, thanks so much again for bringing this movie uh, to my attention and all your great insight. Really appreciate it. And I'm glad we could, we could connect on this one and, Hope to have you back on again for something else. Absolutely. Thank you again so much. Like you mentioned, it's on Netflix. So folks are still um, in isolation. Watch this movie. It's only an hour and 40 minutes or read the book. It'll probably take you that amount of time. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. So where can people follow you and um, tell them about uh, contenders and such? Absolutely. So um, just like High School Slumber Party, um, The Contenders is on the Cage Club Podcast Network. You can find my host page there and to find out more about the contenders or hear other episodes of cage club programs I guest on. Um, I also have a short series called why aren't we all that's a seven episode series about making the world a better place. So feel free to check those things out. And I'm occasionally on Twitter at sassy nerd MT. Perfect. Uh, thanks again. And like I said, can't wait to have you on another time. Sounds great. Have a good night. Wow, it was so great having Aislinn on to talk about such a good movie, a movie she's super passionate about. I love that. That's like one of the best parts about High School Slumber Party, the passion of the guests, but also the passion of you slumberers out there. I couldn't do it without you. It means so much to me, especially in these times. Thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. And thank you for participating, those of you who participate. Remember, participation is a huge part of your grade. And you can participate on social media, whether that be on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. And you could also email me at highschoolslumberparty at gmail.com. That's highschoolslumberparty at gmail.com. Speaking of participation, I want you to look at the social media. I want you to like some things and maybe participate as well. But 
Last week's episode on flying, I think I teased it there, it got me thinking. It got me thinking about things I can do on social media. Well, the first first thing I wanted to do is something we suggested in that episode was uh, get someone to read that great Keanu Reeves monologue from Flying, that one about him being a carnival barker. So I asked my good friend, actor John Harden, if he would do it, and he declined. I think he respects the craft of acting too much to do that. <laughs> God, that scene's amazing, though. Again, check out that episode last uh, Monday. Ooh, I forget, we're bi-weekly, but last Monday. But the other thing that came out of that episode was the hot dog challenge, if you will. In the movie, Keanu Reeves has this random scene where he puts way too many things on a hot dog. So... I've decided to make this a challenge among my friends, and by the time this episode airs, I will have likely challenged two people who I think are up for the task. And the challenge is, make yourself a hot dog, and you have to put any five ingredients in mass quantities on top of it, and eat it, and record a video of it, and post it on social media, and tag it, Keanu Hot Dog Challenge or hot dog challenge, definitely tag high school slumber party, because I want to see these hot dogs being eaten. Do I expect this to take off and go viral? No, but I do expect some friends of mine to do it, because they are loyal people, and they understand the meaning of loyalty in a time like this. And the two people I nominated were, well, someone from the show, the godfather himself, Joey Lewandowski. And who else am I going to nominate for a food challenge? But the foodie films man himself... Kyle Reinfried. So check that out on social media. If they accept my challenges, I'll probably play it on Monday's episode. Speaking of Monday's episode, oh my god, this is a big one. This is a huge one, because I've decided that the next six or seven weeks, depending, are going to be something called Cheer Mondays. Like I mentioned, we're bi-weekly, and whew, I decided that the Mondays should be something special for a little bit, and they're going to be Cheer Mondays, cheerleading movies only. With the exception of one thing that we have to celebrate that's not a cheer movie, but more on that another time. It'll be a series of cheerleading movies, and of course, I know you're out there, you're thinking, what's going to be the first movie? Come on. It's going to be Bring It On. Let's hear it for the five-time national cheerleading champions, the Mighty Toro! Bang, bang, choo-choo track, let me see you do your thing! You are cheerleaders. Cheerleaders are dancers who have gone retarded. Jan's got spirit. How about you? Dude, you just lost. Ever been to a cheerleading competition? We're the best. We have fun, we work hard, and we win national championships. have a problem. About what? You ripped off those cheers. We've had the best squad around for years, but no one's been able to see what we can do. We're in trouble. But you better believe all that's gonna change this year. I swear, I had no idea. Do you think a white girl came up with those moves? This isn't about cheating. This is about winning. Can we just beat these buffies down so I can go home? We might have to have a rumble. I'll take out famous losers for $200. Shut up, moron! You wanna make it right? Then when you go to nationals, bring it. That way, when we beat you, we'll know it's because we're better. 
I'll bring it. Don't worry. Come on, let's go get it on. You need a new routine, something amazing and fresh. We've been saying we're the best. Now it's time to put up or shut up. Let's do this. We should uh, join the squad. Bring It On is the formative cheerleading movie, and I can't wait to talk about it with my good friend and one of my favorite guests on the show, Alexandra Schroeder. Alex is always a blast, and this is going to be a good one. I promise you that. And remember, that's Monday. Check us out on a special study session. I guess we're studying cheerleading. You know, I should bring, like, some lessons, some, like, history of cheerleading, if you will. You know what? Boom. It's happening. I'm going to give you a little advance notice on a cheerleading pop quiz. (laughs) So, Cheer Mondays, Alexander Schroeder, bring it on, watch the movie. Some other homework assignments, get John Cusack to unblock us on Twitter. You know that one already. Uh, Oh! I think I mentioned this on Monday, but I was on this week's Too Fast, Too Forever. That was such a fun episode. I don't want to spoil it, but let's just say I bought some stock in the show, if you will. Check that one out on cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. And one more thing I really wanted to leave on this week. I can't tell you enough how much I enjoyed this Perks of Being a Wallflower soundtrack. It hit me so hard. I mentioned it, but I bought it on vinyl. I've been playing the vinyl. It's awesome. I I can't express it enough. And there's that great scene. Well, there's an earlier scene where they're like, oh, what song is playing in the tunnel where uh, Emma Watson has her arms out the car and it's Heroes by David Bowie. I know a lot of people were critical of the movie, like, how does she not know that that song? But in context, and after doing a little deep dive... This movie takes place in the early 90s, and David Bowie's reputation in the early 90s was that of, like, the Let's Dance China Girl guy, kind of like a sellout, though I love those songs. But no one really remembered his Berlin period, if you will, at least not a young person, right? It was kind of out of their realm. By the way, I think in the book it's a Fleetwood Mac song, another band I really love, so not gonna, you know, not gonna care either way, but I'm a huge Bowie fan. And I love Heroes. I love his Berlin period. So when I heard it, I was so excited. And the fact that the film ended with this epic tunnel scene and, uh, you know, uh, Charlie gives this great, awesome speech and it ends with the We Are Infinite, which we talked about, and it goes into the song. Oh, my God. I love it so much. I can't express that enough. But yeah, I just wanted to address that it is feasible that they would not know this song. Remember, this isn't the era of looking things up on your phone. This is not the era of Shazam, if you will. (laughs) So, it's feasible. It's awesome. Don't criticize one of my favorite parts of this film. And I decided that that's the song that I will leave you with today. But first, guys, remember, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop to look around once in a while, you might miss it. Class dismissed. I don't know if I will have the time to write any more letters because I might be too busy trying to participate 
so if this does end up being the last letter, I just want you to know that I was in a bad place before I started high school, and you helped me. Even if you didn't know what I was talking about, or know someone who's gone through it, you made me not feel alone. Because I know there are people who say all these things don't happen. And there are people who forget what it's like to be 16 when they turn 17. I know these will all be stories someday, and our pictures will become old photographs. And we'll all become somebody's mom or dad. But right now, these moments are not stories. This is happening. I am here, and I am looking at her. And she is so beautiful. I can see it. This one moment when you know you're not a sad story. You are alive. And you stand up and see the lights on the buildings and everything that makes you wonder. And you're listening to that song on that drive with the people you love most in this world. And in this moment, I swear, we are infinite. It's over. Go home. Go.